0: Good evening, and welcome to eChat. We're so glad that you have joined us tonight. And I think you're going to be really um, surprised, and I think you'll also be inspired by some of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight. We're very happy to have a special guest, and I'm going to be introducing him in just a moment. But first of all, let me just tell you that as we come to you tonight from the uh, Eastwind Pentecostal Church campus in Palm Bay, Florida, I want you to know that I pray that everyone is doing okay and that you're safe. Uh, We're thankful for all of the different messages that we've gotten. We're thankful for uh, more than 30,000 people that we've been able to reach uh, this week through YouTube and our website, our webcasting, and Facebook. And uh, I just pray uh, that everybody's doing well. And uh, I just want you to gather around tonight. If you've got some free time and you want to join us, I think uh, you'll enjoy this. It'll be inspiring and uh, informative. And also, we want it to be engaging and interactive So I want to encourage you to just start a watch party, Uh, if you can do that, on Facebook Live. And uh, also, whatever questions that you have, feel free to submit those questions. As people are coming online, uh, we'll give you guys a shout-out. And I see some people are already uh, starting to uh, join, Pamela and uh, Tom. Uh, We're glad you guys are joining. And uh, we're going to be having a a great time uh, tonight as we uh, talk to our special guest. I want you to know that we are uh, very privileged uh, tonight to be speaking with uh, Matt Staver, who is the founder and uh, the president of Liberty Council. If you're not familiar with Liberty Council, Liberty Council is one of the foremost legal defense uh, organizations, nonprofits in America that defends religious civil liberties, uh, life and liberty and uh, family, and uh, they're also a great educational group. Matt Staver and I actually work together some. Twenty years ago, and I have such a tremendous amount of respect for this man and his wife, Anita, and uh, the great work, all the team at Liberty Council. He's appeared before the United States Supreme Court on more than one occasion doing oral arguments, and uh, he is a person that's dedicated himself to defending religious civil liberties right here in America. You may think, do we really need defense for civil liberties here in America? Absolutely. We're going to be talking about some of those things uh, tonight as we get into this but first of all matt let me just ask you how are you doing
1: i'm doing well it's good to be with you pastor
0: i wanted to start out by asking you're in the orlando area right right are there uh, shelter in uh, place laws or restrictions in uh, the orlando area orange county area tonight
1: well for orange county <clears throat> that's a county of about 1.3 million plus people residents and obviously even more people work there and so last week Uh, Thursday night there was a type of shelter order, but it has a lot of restrictions. Uh, Our uh, Liberty Council office is situated on the edge of Orange Orange County, inside the county, and it is uh, exempted. So there's many exemptions. Primarily it applies to uh, various kinds of restaurants and other kinds of commercial establishments. It does uh, include a large number of um, businesses, but there's also a large number of businesses and organizations, operations that are exempted. And fortunately, we meet several of those exemptions. Uh, in Seminole County, there is no stay-at-home order. Over the weekend, uh, the um, county did recommend that people that were 65 and uh, older or that had certain predisposed uh, health conditions want to uh, stay inside their homes but that's not an order that was a recommendation so seminole county is different than orange
0: county i see you know um we spoke maybe um i don't know maybe 10 days ago it seems like time has kind of stood still for the for the, for the past couple of weeks you know the bible talks about joshua making the sun stand still for a period of time but i feel like it's done that for a couple of weeks you know but it feels like it i'm, I'm losing track of the days But, uh, you know, we we spoke um, a few days ago, and I want to try to bring this out a little bit more and and, uh, get your advice and expertise on this. But, you know, um, there's this balancing act that's going on. Churches, obviously, in America have the right to assemble and to associate, and uh, we're we're very, you know, guarded of those liberties and freedoms they've been fought hard for over the years. And then uh, there's a balancing between that and then the broad powers that, Uh, Mm -hmm. the states have during national emergencies. And I know a lot of this is sort of untested uh, law, but what are you advising pastors as we try to figure out how to navigate these waters?
1: Well, we're really talking to them on a case-by-case basis because it is so different uh, all over the country. In some cases, you have statewide orders. Uh, There's a number of exemptions in those orders. Now what you see are, like, for example, in Orange County, you have a county mayor who's issued an executive order, and then you also have cities within the county. So in some places around the country, you, you may have something coming from a county, or you may have it coming from a city mayor. And so there's it's like a huge patchwork of conflicting rules, even within counties. It is, frankly, um, astonishing to see the conflicting uh, orders that are coming out. And the the, the bottom line is, You know, the basic premise is we don't just simply jettison the Constitution in a time of a state of emergency. There are certain things that happen in a state of emergency. Um, What's amazing is the breadth of the laws that are on the books, whether it's um, on a state level or on a local level. The laws are so broad that it gives these, frankly, unchecked powers on their face anyway – because these have never really been challenged gives these unchecked powers to governmental officials, governors or mayors who simply do not debate these uh, with their legislature. It's not uh, rolled out and even given pre advance notice to the people for feedback and they print them off on their printers and they rush to a press conference and they issue these uh, executive orders And then they threaten that they will be enforced under penalty of law. And some of them have even criminal consequences. And yet they're not drafted carefully. They're not reviewed by constitutional scholars. There's no one there to give and take the debate over how these things will apply. So we are working individually with churches and individuals all over the country, walking through all these different landmines, if you will, mindful all the time of two things. One, uh, we don't, uh, set aside the Constitution. It does not just simply get obviated. We don't operate as though there are no constitutional pre- freedoms. That includes freedom of speech. That includes assembly. That includes free exercise of religion. That includes a speedy trial for individuals who are charged with a crime, for example. Um, they don't just all of a sudden lose their constitutional rights to a speedy trial. On the other hand, there are health considerations to take into consideration. And then finally, You have to understand that in the context of a virus, in the context outside of a very temporary state of emergency, in the context of a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, fire, something like that, that's a very temporary, focused state of emergency, we've never had something like this quite the same nature, uh, except in the time of war. We have had a few Supreme Court cases that went to the U.S. Supreme Court with regards to constitutional rights during um, martial law, uh, and, uh, but that was always during time of war or insurrectional rebellion, uh, for example, even during the Civil War. In the context of what we're facing now, it's uncharted territory, to be honest with you, and so there's a lot of things to walk through, and, and of course, the courts have not really seen uh, these cases before.
0: Yeah. Is one of those cases you're referring to, is that um, the case with the beginning of World War II with the internment of Japanese citizens in California?
1: Yeah, and even, for example, Abraham Lincoln, as as much as we think so uh, many good things about him, obviously we know he he led the movement for slavery and he ultimately gave his life. Uh, But he also did some things that were frankly unconstitutional, and one of those was ignoring the constitutional right to habeas corpus. Uh, During the Civil War, he arrested certain uh, adversaries. He held them in jail. Uh, they went to court. The court said that you're violating their constitutional rights, and Abraham Lincoln just simply ignored it. Um, as much as you know, history has sided with Abraham Lincoln, he was wrong to literally set aside the court order. Now, back then, the court didn't have a lot of enforcement authority as it does now or it didn't have that same respect as it does now. Uh, but he literally set aside a constitutional Provision regarding habeas corpus. In other words, somebody gets arrested, you have to show cause as to why they are going to be held. What are they being held for? What crime did they commit in order for you to hold them in the way that he did? And he refused to do so.
0: Do you do you think that they'll try to be a bootstrap argument back to those Supreme Court cases and say, well, actually, we were in a time of war as well. We had an invisible enemy. Do you think you know after this is passed and there's, I'm sure, going to be a lot of uh, uh, different challenges? in the legal system, you feel like that that's going to be something that probably the government will pull from to try to say that they did have this authority because it was a national emergency and it re- it really was a war? You know, I think they'll probably make
1: those arguments, but a uh, war is actually mentioned in the Constitution and something like a virus or some other kind of uh, health crisis like we face now is not mentioned in the Constitution. So there, there are certain special precautions, obviously, when you are physically attacked from either a foreign enemy on the outside or there's insurrection on the inside. Uh, that, is, that is actually addressed in the Constitution itself. But if you look at, for example, the coronavirus, and you look at other viruses that we have faced, and we have faced them throughout our history, and some of the recent ones are H1N1, SARS, the MERS, those kinds of viruses. Many of those viruses, like, for example, uh, at the going rate right now, H1N1, will have many more people infected unless uh, the coronavirus continues to catch up, but it's got a long way to go. And we didn't lock down the country with H1N1. So I I think the problem that we have is categorizing the magnitude of what we're facing compared to what we faced in the past, Outside of war, because that's a whole different, unique category, including the Civil War. Um, If we're going to do this on a regular basis, because the fact of the matter is um, we will have viruses. We'll have viruses worse than what we have now. We've experienced viruses worse than the coronavirus. And the question is, how long do you uh, set aside people's rights? What extent can you do that? And do you have to be more specific? You know, for example, in constitutional law, if you're going to um, target religion or you're going to discriminate against religion or religious free exercise, the government has to have a compelling reason to do so. Well, let's grant that they have a compelling reason here with regards to health and safety. But you also have to reach that particular objective, health and safety protections, in the least restrictive means available. And the problem that these executive orders have, many of them, is they're not well thought out in terms of the exemptions that they provide. For example, in Virginia, liquor stores are exempted, churches are not. Abortion clinics are exempted, but other elective surgeries are not. I don't see how in the world you can justify saying that a liquor store is an essential operation or essential service and you have the same thing in other places as well. You have, in North Carolina, the original executive order did not ban meetings in a library, public or private libraries, but it did ban meetings in churches. I don't know how you make that kind of a distinction uh, in these kinds of situations. So there's a lot of analysis that has to go through this, and a lot of these have not been well thought out.
0: Yeah. You know, as, as um, Christians... We have sort of uh, conflicting feelings with this because, um, as a pastor, you know I'm aware of the scripture that says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, and yet we also have uh, the scripture that tells us to obey those that have the rule over us. So, uh, what? How are we? How are we to balance legally, morally, ethically? Um, how are we to balance those uh, those different conflicting? Uh, commands, as it were, in this type of a situation? Because if this goes on for months and months, there's, I'm sure, a number of pastors that will lose their churches.
1: Not only lose their churches, but uh, people whose eternal salvation is, uh, is out there. You, you know, the question is, obviously we want to be prudent. We do want to uh, follow these uh, rules to the best of, of our ability, Uh, We want to be able to protect human life and not put other humans uh, in danger and jeopardy. On the other hand, you have individuals um, that are in a lot of different categories, Uh, and those individuals are individuals seeking the Lord. They're, at this time, particularly under stress. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them don't know about the future of their jobs. Some of them have lost their businesses. Some of the businesses will never return. They're going through a lot of stress um they're thinking about their future and their life and their eternal destiny is is in um at stake you know we have easter coming up it's uh one if not the biggest gathering of christians uh every year that and and christmas obviously and that's just around the corner so you almost get to a point at that stage especially when there's no end in sight um as to whether or not you're being completely prohibited from worshiping. Now, I understand the argument, well, we can worship online. But let's look at this, and, and some churches are doing you know, a good job doing that. But there's a lot of people right. that don't have access to the Internet. Right. I know my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they would not be able to, living in Oklahoma, uh, watch uh, a broadband service uh, because they just don't have that kind of reliable uh, internet there. They can get online, they can do a few things, but they're not going to watch video. They will be completely cut off. But there's others, you know, for example, there's the, there's the single mom with the two children, uh, or however many children she has, who's lost her job and doesn't know where the next uh, uh, meal is coming from. Uh, it's hard to be able to reach out to them if we're only doing online. So the church has to really begin... Um, to think outside the box, how are we going to minister to so many hurting people? For example, in France, the first week of the lockdown, domestic violence went up 32%. And it's just obvious. When you have families that are already stressed, the relationships are stressed, and they're living in a small apartment, and uh, maybe they've lost their jobs, and they've already got a stressed relationship, there's no question that domestic violence will go up. There's no question that child abuse will grow up. I already talked to individuals who have seen child abuse grow up. I was just talking to a friend in Colorado and uh, his law firm just this past week in Colorado because they have a statewide lockdown, has received more calls of people inquiring for divorce than any time they've ever had uh, calls on that subject matter. So what we have to begin to think about is the implications of this extreme reaction, I think it personally, is an extreme reaction. I think we have to react. I think, obviously, we have to take the virus seriously. But is the lockdown the best way to do it? I personally don't think so. I think there's other ways to address this issue uh, because there's a lot of collateral damage, a lot of collateral damage that is happening right now as a result of the
0: government restrictions. Yeah. We're talking live with Matt Staver. Matt Staver, one of the foremost... Uh, attorneys in america defending religious civil liberties as the founder and the director of liberty council he defends religious liberties all across america in a variety of different ways and states and has a tremendous team of attorneys that work with him and they do a tremendous work Uh, if you ever get a chance go to their website lc.org it's a a tremendous ministry that does a great work i had the opportunity to work with them uh, some 20 years ago and I have a tremendous amount of respect for this group and what all they do on these front lines to defend our religious liberties. Right here in America, uh, as you can uh, only imagine, we're having to fight hard to defend our religious liberties on a number of different fronts. And uh, it's a very unique time that we live in. So if you've got questions, uh, go ahead and submit them. We're excited about Ann and uh, Jackie and uh, Bev and Don and others that are joining on Facebook Live, on YouTube. You can go to YouTube. Uh, Eastwind Pentecostal uh, Church, Palm Bay, Florida. Uh, you can also find us on our website at eastwind.church, and you can also uh, find us on Facebook Live at just Eastwind Church. Uh, we had a question that came in, Matt, from a pastor in uh, Texas who sort of lives out um, in the um, sort of out in the country, where, as you were mentioning early, doesn't have uh, very much uh, internet access. And uh, last week they had a a drive-in service, and it went well. Everybody stayed in their cars. You know a lot of churches are doing that now, and everything went great. But then they were notified uh, this week that they were not able to have uh, a drive-in service anymore uh, because I guess some other churches maybe had become too laxed with the restrictions of the drive-in service. So he was um, writing um, a question from... Uh, Texas saying, "What should he do? Would would he should he defy that order and go ahead and have a drive-in service? Because if he doesn't, um, where they're at out in the country, they really don't have any other options."
1: Yeah, well, I can't I can't give counsel for somebody to defy an order, but we can talk to uh, the pastor and and work through that. And um, our number at uh, Liberty Council is four zero seven eight seven five seventeen seventy six four zero seven eight seven five 1776, and the uh, website is lc.org, lc.org. What I can say is this. You were following the instructions from what um, the question sounds like, and you were doing something where you were trying to, on the one hand, balance the executive order, the different orders that are out there, uh, with being able to worship, and doing this as a drive-in is a very reasonable way to do it. People are not getting out of their or vehicles, um, you're on a stage or someplace where you're able to communicate to people. And a number of churches are doing a drive-in, uh, like the old drive-in uh, churches that they right. used to have. Uh, David, they're, they're back in style, it seems right. like. There used to be one in Daytona there for many, many years. Yeah. The theater where you drive in and you put the little speaker on your window, just like in uh, an outdoor movie theater, and then they would preach uh, somewhere, and you would be able to hear that. So it sounds like the pastor was doing a good job in doing that. Just because other churches may or may not have been following the rules, there's no reason for you to lose your rights. Uh, And I think it's very unreasonable. Frank, I think it's unconstitutional for you to be able to follow the rules that they've set out and then now be told by some uh, enforcement uh, person that you have to shut down, not because the order says you have to shut down, you're following the order. You're staying away from individuals uh, of a certain distance. You're keeping those orders in mind. Just because somebody else is not doing it right doesn't uh, mean that they have the authority to shut you down. Here's an example, David, of something like that in Wisconsin. Wisconsin has a stay-at-home order, and they have the same thing about 10 people. You can't have more than 10 people. Now, obviously, if you're in cars, uh, you're not around each other. Um, you're listening on the radio, or somebody's up there speaking, or however you're you're hearing it. You're you're apart from each other, but in Wisconsin, uh, a person on their private property um, had a, a friend come over, and they were playing a the guitar. They had over five people, but less than ten. They were outside on the private property under a gazebo, playing, playing some Christian music to try to break this stress of what's going on around us. And an officer came there and forced them to disperse, saying that they were in violation of the five-person rule. Well, there is no five-person rule. That's just the officer asserting his or her own idea. And then the officer said uh, that even when you do five people, they have to be blood relatives. They have to be related to one another. Again, that's not in the order. So they're enforcing something or trying to enforce something that goes way beyond the order. And it sounds like that way may well be what's happening to this pastor in Texas. You know, in another case out in Washington State, um, they're now telling uh, churches in some cases. There's a case that hasn't been filed yet. uh, But they're telling the pastor that the pastor and the sound tech and um, the musician cannot travel to go to the church because they are supposed to stay home. So in other words, they're trying to shut down online services as well, prohibiting three people or so, a small group, to go to the church and actually broadcast from the church live so that people could carry uh, that message at home. So there's a lot of unreasonable applications that are taking place around the country.
0: Very interesting. Uh, Mike from Palm Bay had a question. He said, uh, are you aware of anyone that has been arrested for violating a stay-at-home order?
1: I know of people who have been threatened, arrested. I, I, I know that there is a church right now in uh, Florida where there is uh, uh, an officer that I've been told is uh, there. I know that they have been or, and or has been threatened uh, to arrest if they meet. Uh, this is a church uh, that has met. Uh, they're not doing the online. Uh, they, they do that all the time through their media services. But uh, they are not doing the drive-in either. They're actually meeting in the church, and uh, that one is being threatened. I I don't know that he has been arrested, uh, but I know he's been threatened. I know that in Los Angeles County, they are threatening to turn off the water and the power to any business or home that violates the, quote, safer-at-home policy, which is the stay-at-home policy.
0: I see. Uh, Wayne is asking, why the extreme reaction to this particular virus? (laughs) <laughs> i'm but not sure if a, legally or, or medically hundred,
1: uh, answer Wayne. Uh, there's a lot of theories that are out there but in short i think that it is um something that has been planning uh been in the planning by many people in many organizations for some time bill gates for example is one of those individuals uh who's a in my view, he's a Darwinian, uh, social social Darwinian, which means um, he is someone who would, like many, believe in evolving the human race. And ultimately, um, that doesn't have a respect for everyone who's made in the image of God from both ends of the spectrum, from uh, in the womb all the way to natural death. And there are some people who are very much involved in the vaccination, big farmers involved in vaccinations. You have to understand, when pharmacies or companies create drugs or vaccination, actually drugs, move vaccinations to the side. When they create any drug, it takes a number of years, a lot of money to create a drug. Once they create the drug, no matter how much testing they have, we've seen this over and over again, that drug may be found to cause physical problems down the road or mental problems down the road. Then they get sued and it is a multi-billion dollar lawsuit. Um, Now, for vaccines, the United States government some years ago gave carte blanche uh, immunity to any vaccine maker. So they did that. They created the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund. So if you ever have injuries from a vaccination, uh, Big Pharma pays $0. That comes out of a federal pot. We pay about $100 billion a year. We've paid over $2 billion. It's more between three plus billion now dollars to individuals who have been injured. And those are individuals who are able to work through the bureaucracy. We did that because big pharma lobbied Congress some years ago to be able to create vaccines and escape liability. So if you're going to be a vaccine maker, that's where the money is uh, because you have a large population, especially when you require them to be mandatory and you have no liability if there's a problem from that vaccination. Combine that with the idea that um, what we're seeing in China, even Israel, uh, South Korea, uh, Lombardi, Israel, uh, Italy, and other places, even being talked about in the United States, as far as tracking individuals' health on your cell phone. In China right now, uh, you have a on your cell phone. You have to have a an app. On that app, it has a, a red. It has a green, yellow, and red light. And uh, as they're moving people back into operation there, uh, you have to show that to have entrance. Uh, We know people that are working in China. They have to have that in order to be uh, eligible to go into different places. Uh, MIT, uh, Massachusetts Massachusetts Institute of Technology, has a technology review magazine, just came out with an article. And they are advocating, uh, or the author author was very much in favor of, being able to see a time when you go on an airplane – Um, and uh, an alert would go off, if you've had a virus, it tells when you had the virus, who you've been around, have you visited any hot spots, and when was your last vaccination. And that would be the price of admission to go on an airplane or any place of public accommodation. And he said at the end of the article, we're going to have to get used to it just like we do with the TSA regulations after 9-11. There is a big picture out there of people who are pushing in this direction. Uh, there's um, Obviously, we've had a virus, and obviously, we have to take it seriously. Uh, but we have not in modern history, unless you go back to the 1918 um, Spanish flu that happened in the United States, we haven't reacted like this uh, in modern history. I think um, that um, President Trump gave recommendations that were coming from the task force. He is now wanting to turn the corner because... He and a lot of other people are saying, we cannot destroy America. We cannot shut it down much longer to address this virus. We've got to do other things that are less restrictive, less damaging, because what we are doing is an overreaction that literally has brought America uh, and it's a um, national, international, a uh, best economy and everything else in a very weakened position, to the point where China now has turned the corner, supposedly, and they're buying up a lot of American uh, businesses and stocks. They're doing that already in China. So our national interest, interest, you know, the country itself, we can't destroy the country. We can't weaken it and make it vulnerable to foreign uh, countries that don't have our best interests in mind that want to ultimately destroy us. And there are people within this country also that want to do that as well. So I think there are some extreme reactions that are taking place. I think the president is wanting to turn the corner. Uh, The problem is, is that he doesn't have the power to force the governors to respond. He can only give recommendations. And so we're going to have a hodgepodge. I think the president will turn the corner first. Uh, And then I think what will happen is you'll see uh, different Republican governors start to turn the corner with him. Uh, But then within those states, you're going to have different executive orders from the mayors There's going to be a hodgepodge i think some democratic governors may or may not turn the corner some will and so we're going to have this patchwork across the country to get it back to normal it's going to take a long time Uh, and there's going to be a significant amount of damage in the process in the process we've just passed a 2.2 trillion dollar bill which you know we need the relief no question about it but to give you an idea what 2.2 trillion dollars is if you were, if the founding fathers began a printing press at the very beginning of the country 234 years ago, and they printed a dollar every second, day and night, since the founding of this country, it would take 275 segments of 234 years to print two to print two trillion dollars. Wow, uh, that's mind boggling. That's on top of our current debt. So. There are so many things that we have to consider in the broad picture as we have made these significant extreme restrictions. And David, you know, just for example, outside of the extreme restrictions, there's a lot of due process that's just simply ignored. Even in Florida where you do have a Republican governor, it has less restrictions than most states or many states. But on a Friday a week ago, The uh, governor gave the restaurants in all of Florida, we're a state of about almost 23 million people, gave the restaurants about a couple of hours on the afternoon of a Friday that they all have to do takeout or drive-through. Lots of restaurants couldn't do that. Uh, And that executive order came out in the middle of the afternoon on Friday with no notice, and they had to uh, comply with it by 5 o'clock on Friday. So those are things that – People are being jerked around. They don't know what their rights are the next time somebody goes to a press conference. And so we are creating a real problem in the way that we're handling the reaction to this coronavirus.
0: We're talking with Matt Staber, the founder and director of Liberty Council. Liberty Council is a uh, religious, civil liberties, legal defense, and educational group. And he's taking your questions live. We've got quite a bit of questions coming in, Matt. Uh, Deanna asks. Would martial law be constitutional in this situation?
1: No. And in fact, um, I think what we have is uh, close to martial law in different parts around the country. Uh, We have. We have uh, threatened. We have the governor of New York uh, threatening synagogues and churches that he will bring the law enforcement out and arrest uh, them in mass. We have that in other states as well. You know, They may not be calling it martial law, but I'm not sure how much different martial law would look like than what it already is in certain parts of the country. I'm not talking about everywhere, because, again, as I said earlier, we have a huge difference in patchworks, even in some cases within the states.
0: I see. Um, Annie asks, can you be forced to take a a vaccine, especially uh, if you work, like, for example, in the medical field?
1: You know, that's a great uh, question. Um, We actually have a a legal memo on uh, vaccinations, and um, we actually have it on our website. You can go there, and it's on one of the sliders. We've got it posted right now, Um, and uh, that's at lc.org, lc.org. Historically, what has happened in uh, almost every state except for a couple, uh, up until last year, when some measles broke out among some uh, Orthodox Jews in New York. It was a small breakout, but there was a major reaction to it. again, I think there's other um, things going on in the background rather than the measles that happened among some of these Orthodox Jews. Um, But they used that in some states. California, for example. California had uh, most states, uh, except for a couple, I'm talking about, just a small, small number, two perhaps uh, of states, had exemptions for religious uh, and medical. So in other words, there are some people that can't take a vaccination because it would actually cause physical harm to them. And there's other people that have religious objections to vaccinations, and those fall into two categories. One, a pro-life exemption or or a pro-life reason, because uh, uh, there's certain vaccines that are made from the aborted fetal tissue cells, and um, there are no alternatives to those. Uh, there are some that have alternatives to those, and you can get them with or without the aborted fetal tissue in it, which in itself has a, um, a moral as well as a, a physical issue of injecting some human DNA in your body um, so and then there 's the broader one that your body is the temple of, of God, and you 're opposed to vaccinations all across the board. most every state. Uh, allowed vaccination exemptions for religious reasons. Some of them allowed it for also philosophical reasons. You didn't have to have a religious reason. California allowed it for medical, religious, and philosophical. And just last year, they revoked the medical and philosophical objections, uh, opt-outs, because of this reaction to what happened in New York in the orthodox community there. Some of those are making changes, uh, and about five of those have made changes since then. Those have not yet been challenged. Uh, We have litigated cases on behalf of individuals who were being forced to get vaccinations, and they had religious objections, pro-life, and/or a broader religious objection. We've been able to win those cases. But I can tell you where we are going now with this kind of coronavirus is there are efforts clearly underway. being significantly advanced by those who want to have mandatory vaccinations to require vaccinations. Uh, and the question will be when a vaccination for this coronavirus is made, what will be the government pressure to cause you, to force you to do it? And I think there's going to be a huge government pressure. I can foresee instances um, like what we have with the the app in China where we're um, They're doing some of that in other places. It's not just China. That's being talked about in the United States as well, where if you were to get a driver's license or anything else, you would have to prove that you have certain up-to-date vaccinations. Um, That's going to be a big battle, um, and and it's going to have to be one that we're going to have to watch. Uh, But I think it's also a significant uh, threat to religious freedom and to personal autonomy with regards to the issue of of vaccinations, not only from a religious standpoint, but also from – medical consequences standpoint. I know some people say, well, there's no consequences. Well, if there's no consequences, and why are we paying $100 billion a year to people who are injured from the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund? And that's just the tip of the iceberg because most people, uh, they drop out before they can complete all the bureaucratic hurdles.
0: Yeah. We're talking with Matt Staver, the founder of Liberty Council. In addition uh, to being an attorney, I know, Matt, you're also a Uh, ordained minister do you see that there's any um spiritual implications to what we're going through now do you think there's um something there's a big that this is just part of a bigger picture or do you see this as just a random virus
1: well i do see it uh you know i i i I don't have a crystal ball and, and know exactly how it all is i know that uh there is um some evidence, uh, and I think they'll probably become even more so, that China was working on biotechnology uh, and biowarfare, and uh, it, actually their, their organization, the plant, that they had been working in biowarfare. An Israeli um, um, intelligence officer uh, completed his doctoral dissertation on biowarfare and was, did his dissertation on the Wuhan laboratory from which this virus originated. And so there may have been some uh, of those things taking place. I think there are certainly spiritual components to it. I think there's uh, multifaceted. Um, you know, we read Second uh, Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But verse 13 actually says, If I close up the heavens so that there is no rain, if I send the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence to my people, if my people who are called by my name. I'm not saying God sent this pestilence. I'm saying that certainly in the scriptures in the Old Testament, there's a lot of times where that has been mentioned. And that famous passage where we're talking about praying um, actually follows verse 13. It's interesting to see that in context. I'm not saying this is uh, something sent by God. I do think, however, that in terms of a spiritual situation, I think uh, Satan is fairly gleeful right now. And why is that? Um, the borders of Israel have been shut down. All of our tours to Israel this summer have been canceled. Uh, and that means a lot of people who would be able to go there and have literally a life-changing experience. Easter's coming up. Passover is coming up. All that's being shut down over in Israel. Uh, Easter's coming up now. Churches around the country, are are, many of them are shut down uh, because of these different orders. Uh, And Easter is one of the biggest times of the year uh, for people coming to church and bringing a friend, and that's where they may meet the Lord for the very first time. There's a lot of stress that's happening in homes right now. We already have uh, couples and families that are under stress. Um, And you put them in a small place and you take away their income, you give them uncertainty. And then you see this kind of thing giving you constant news in the TV and the radio, constant news. It's constantly upsetting and constantly um, irritating to people. The pressure builds and what we're seeing in, in homes, children, families, um, serious consequences that are taking place. And, As the church, we need to really be in tune to what God wants us to do and bring hope and bring peace. Because even in the midst of storms, uh, Jesus said, you know, to have peace. He said, fear not, little flock. As Christians, we need to have a different response to this virus than those who don't know the Lord. And I think um, there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of leaders who are just as fearful as the rest of the world. And uh, we need to, to me, what it's shown me is that the church is really going through a major test. And to be honest with you, there's, there's much of the church, there's lots of good things that are happening, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of the church that has failed that test. And, and I think we have to bring hope. We have to reach out to those brothers and sisters, our friends, our neighbors, we have to put down this and get into the Word of God more uh, during this time uh, because you know, the constant news about something that's happening uh, keeps everyone on edge. So I do think there's a major spiritual component to it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I pray all the time. What we did at our office and what we've done at our home, we gathered everyone together, um, and we've anointed our office and our home before. Right. But uh, but David, we went back through, and we gathered everybody together, and we prayed for several things. We prayed for physical protection. We prayed for protection of the ministry. And we prayed for protection of all the different people. We prayed against the virus. We prayed for freedom to be restored. We prayed for our uh, leaders uh, from the White House down to the local leaders. And we went, all of us, all over, multiple times, anointing different places, Uh, in and outside of our office, and we've done that in our homes. And, um, you know, I encourage people to do that, anoint each other as well and pray for for one another and and pray against this virus. Uh, Jesus can calm the storm uh, with a word. And um, that's what I'm calling on on our Lord to do now.
0: Amen. Talking with uh, Matt Staver of, of Liberty Council and talking about how this virus has affected us in our culture spiritually, legally. And uh, so many different ways. You know, as you were uh, talking, Matt, I was thinking about the test that really this is putting um, on the American church. It's really testing our our spiritual maturity. And you know that verse you referred to in Second Chronicles 7:14 about if my people, you know, it's addressed to his people. It's his addressed feet. to the church. Will hmm. humble themselves and pray and um, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do you think that part of this is, you know, everybody's looking for the, uh, the cure, the vaccination. Could it be that we as a church have been positioned so that we could call out to God and that indeed God would heal our land, as he promised before? He's the same God.
1: You know, I pray that they get, uh, you know, a cure for it. I pray that the vaccine is crushed. But if you go back to the time of Exodus, uh, there was no vaccine. And what there was is the blood of the lamb that was um, spread on the doorpost. And when the the death angel came through on that last plague, anyone who was in that home um, was safe and they were protected. And that's coming under the blood of Jesus for us today. Uh, That was pointing to Jesus And if you look at the Israelites, when the plagues came through, the plague of boils, whether that was smallpox, I don't know. But it could have been. We don't know. Uh, There was no vaccine back then that addressed that. Uh, But God protected his people. And um, that plague uh, went toward the Egyptians, and, and those that were under his covering were protected. God can... And I think we need to put our trust more in the word of God and in what he is able to do than constantly looking at, have they gotten the vaccine? Where is it? Right. You know, we need to be on our knees because that's the vaccine we need. That is the vaccine against sin. That That is the <coughs> ultimate cure for everything. And, you know, Peter, when he got out of the boat, he was able to do an amazing feat to walk on the water, but then he started looking at the waves. He looked at the problem rather than the problem solver and he began to sink. And Jesus reached down and he said, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Uh, I think this is a time for us to remember that Jesus said the gates of hell, the fury of hell, the wrath of Satan will not prevail against his church. And that's what we need to grab onto and we need to really look at that as the solution not wait for some vaccine to
0: come out. That's great. Harry is asking a question on the church website. What has to happen first before we turn the corner on this situation?
1: Well, I think uh, there's a couple of things. Some of the early models in terms of how bad this virus uh, ha- would, would have been, both worldwide and in the United States, have been proven wrong. Uh, the World Health Organization uh, was using data that was completely wrong. Uh, Oxford uh, scholars are now saying that uh, it was completely flawed. So some of those projections are, are are no longer holding true. So what I think was happening is that president is looking at what's happening to the country. And, and if you look at this level, you've got the president that issues a state of emergency. What that does is it allows certain funding to come into being to help the states, it allows him to be able to uh, streamline the bureaucracy, the testing, and he's been able to do that, but he's not forcing the states. He gives recommendations. Then the states, that's where the police power is, they end up enacting these executive orders. And then within the states, you have mayors doing something similar as well. They have local police power. So I think based upon what the president said last week and what other people are now saying, even Governor Cuomo, uh, the Democratic governor from New York, is beginning to say something similar, and that is uh, the reaction is um, we can't continue to do this. It may have been too much. This is what we were looking at as our best advice, but it may have been uh, too much of a reaction. I think it was. I think what's happening is the president is starting to turn the corner as of last week. He said he wants America back to work by Easter. Well, that's um, coming up pretty, pretty soon. Right. Uh, next weekend is uh, Palm Sunday, and then we have uh, Easter uh, right after that. So that's uh, two weeks or less as we begin this new week. Mm-hmm. And he said he wants uh, America back to work by Easter. So I think what he's going to do is he's going to come out with revised uh, regulations or re- recommendations And look at county by county, because there are some states, uh, David, that have no uh, virus at all. There's many counties, even in Florida, for example, where we live, that have no virus at all. Uh, And yet they have to live by all these statewide restrictions. There are a few hotspots. New York is one. And why is New York one? Well, they had a direct flight from Wuhan, China, and uh, that's how it got into New York. Um, So I think that is going to look at... uh, more of a high, medium, and low risk, and have that template put across the country. Um, And I think a lot of the governors hopefully will start to follow that and relax some of those restrictions. And then the local counties do the same thing, and cities do the same thing. Um, But I don't know. I think those uh, regulations will probably come out sometime this week. And then we've got a, a, a few more days or next week to be able to try to put those in process. I think that it will be sooner than people were projecting, but I think there's going to be some lagging behind in some states and some local jurisdictions as well.
0: I see. We're talking with Matt Staver, the founder and president of Liberty Council, one of our foremost constitutional attorneys defending religious civil liberties here in America. Uh, Matt, we wanted to talk uh, with you for just a moment about something that um, I think is – on people's minds as we uh, look at the different restrictions that are being put on our freedoms. I heard something on the radio uh, just as we were coming in tonight uh, for this interview. And uh, they were talking about how some of the governments and uh, former uh, Eastern Bloc countries of Europe are having uh, uh, different meetings right now uh, to make their laws more restrictive. And of course, it's couched around the emergency of this virus. And my question to you is, is there danger of that happening even in America? In other words, we we put laws in place that we can't get rid of later on?
1: Yeah, I think there's absolutely no question that there's danger. I did a press release uh, last week, and I said that liberty is uh, the long-term crisis. The loss of liberty is the long-term crisis. I think we've lost an astonishing amount of liberty In just a few weeks, I would never have thought this possible in a country that has a constitution like this, not only that we've lost such liberty, but that there are people that actually are begging the government to even restrict more freedom, people that I thought would not be thinking along those lines, but some do. And I think it's all fueled by fear and panic. Um, I think the real problem that we have is... Not only the loss of liberty in the short run, but the loss of liberty in the, in the long run. Even, for example, in this bill that came out of Congress, there's some good things in there. You know, I have mixed feeling about, obviously, $2.2 trillion, as everyone would. But there's also some not-so-good things in that bill as well that right. people passed quickly to get it out there, and they felt that they couldn't vote against it because people would say they're not in favor of helping people with the coronavirus. So there are significant reasons to be concerned. And in the longer term, and I'm not thinking long, long term, the longer term is the tracking of individuals using cell phone technology and um, vaccinations and travel and other kinds of access to to locations. Uh, I think in some places that's not going to reverse in places that have already applied it. For example, in Israel, I'm very disappointed that Israel has done this. Uh, Israel bypassed a Knesset law uh, that allowed uh, use of cell phone technology tracking, certain tracking devices that they used only for tracking terrorists. And as it relates to the virus, they have now bypassed that law, and they're using it on law-abiding citizens. And so if you're under a quarantine and uh, a beeper goes off because you've walked outside of your house, uh, you can be and you will be arrested in some cases. Um I think in some places around the country, around – I should say around the world, once those things happen – I'm not saying that's going to happen in Israel. I hope it goes back. But in some other countries, it's not going to go back. And in this country, there's going to be a big, big push by individuals to enact regulations and policies of tracking that ultimately result in the loss of individual freedom, And frankly, being able to shut you off with the flip of a switch if you're not obeying. So I think there is a serious uh, threat that we face to our freedom. I think that threat to freedom far outweighs any virus that we face. As much as we need to be uh, uh, doing what we can to stop the spread of the virus, I think the freedom loss, religious freedom loss and other liberty loss, is a real threat that I see beyond this virus, once this virus is gone.
0: Yeah. You know, Matt, since we've been on the uh, the broadcast tonight, uh, Trump has extended the social distancing guidelines until uh, April 30th, which I think we probably were expecting that because the numbers continue to rise. But, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit like I'm, I'm waiting on a, a Delta plane in Atlanta and they, and it's been delayed and and they say it's going to be at 7:14 and then at 6:50 they tell you it's going to be at 7:50 and then at midnight you're still waiting on the plane to take off. Uh how much longer are are churches going to be able to just sit on the sidelines as this social distancing uh continues to be extended?
1: I think that's that's going to be the question that each pastor uh, is going to have to address and there comes a time where enough is enough and you have to put this in perspective even for example to the H1N1 now somebody might criticize well they didn't respond they should have responded but the H1N1 was um, much more deadly uh, in terms of loss of life than, than this um, you know some people don't want to compare this to the flu and obviously there are differences and so don't get me wrong on this but we are in a uh, a low flu season in which right now we have about 100 deaths a day. Flu season goes from October 1 to the end of March, and we have about 22,000 deaths uh, during this time. That's about 100 deaths a day, and that's a low flu season. You go back a couple of years ago, and we had 34,000 deaths. We had 54 million people. One in every five persons were affected. Uh, we have Hundreds, we have between 300 and 500,000 people that are hospitalized. I'm not talking about going to a doctor or walking clinic. I'm talking about going to a hospital uh, for treatment because of the annual flu. That runs six months every year. Worldwide, every year, there are 290,000 to 648,000 deaths that happen from the flu every single year. That's that's the parameter. So, you have to put this in perspective to other things that we face. And the question is, is, is this uh, social distancing and are these extreme restrictions to literally shut down the economy uh, worth it in the context of are there other ways that we can best address the virus? And I think there are other ways. I, I think um, personally I think we're using a chainsaw. We should be using a scalpel. Uh and, and we need to do things, yes, but I think some of the reactions are too broad, too damaging uh, in light of what we're facing. Believe me, we will have worse viruses than this in the future. And the question is, how often do we want to do this as a nation? Right. And you go through this kind of process because it will be very cyclical and uh, those cycles are not going to be – very uh far spaced out i mean even in our last uh, 20 years you go back and you look at h1n1 sars and mers and, and and others as well that we've had ebola that happened in different parts of the world and so many that that ravaged the world so we've got to come up with a better response mechanism than than what we're doing and i think we can if we think through this better
0: matt liberty council uh does a lot with the educational system in america in terms of working to defend religious liberties and also does a lot of educational work. You were the chairman of the steering committee for the law school at Liberty and then the dean of law at Liberty University. We had a question that came in from Wes. What impact do you see this having on education, especially for high school students where each semester is crucial, credit hour requirements for graduation, college entrance, and et cetera?
1: That is a huge question uh, we, we see this happening all over the country um, with um, people who are they need certain grades some of these uh, some of these schools are allowing the teachers to to do one of two things without having a uniform response to it in fact we have people working uh, for us that are in the same category and the schools have said you can either get them a pass fail uh, or uh, you can Um, have them repeat that class. Well, for some of these that this is their last semester and they're having to apply to different colleges, that's not an option. Um, There's a lot of these issues that are happening across the country, um, and they're causing significant amounts uh, uh, of problems. You know, outside of that, um, you know, within the education, every law school in the country, David, right now is online. Uh, Right. And and every law school in the country now is thinking about doing pass-fail. Um, and so, what do you do with those people in their first year that may not otherwise make it? They get passed on. It's a real, it's a real compounding problem. There are people that need certain grades to get into certain schools, medical schools, for example. If they're in college or law school or some other school, and a pass-fail is just not going to cut it uh, for that, uh, unless they get a slack, a little bit of slack on the other end. So it's causing a, a, a huge uh, problem. You know, Obviously, there's other uh, emotional issues that happen because your graduation may be canceled. But in terms of academics, they can have a real serious uh, implication on your academics.
0: We'll take one more question from our audience. We're talking with Matt Staver of Liberty Council. Matt, Chuck asks, could the fallout of not following a federal or a state mandate be the loss of a church's tax exempt status?
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, the only um, basis for a loss of a, a well, there are several bases, but you know, usually we talk about it in the context of political activity. But no church has ever lost its uh, its uh, nonprofit tax exemption over that. And churches are a lot different. Um, churches are the only nonprofit that don't need a letter. So, in other words, what you do today doesn't hold over to what you do tomorrow. So, if you make a mistake today, and, it's in, and um, somebody calls you on the carpet for it, but you don't make that same thing tomorrow, it's like you're um, born again, if you will. That's kind of what I would say, in the sense that if you're a church right. and you're meeting today for the first time, David, and you're a church, you've never applied for tax exemption, you're tax exempt from that moment. Other organizations that want to get a tax exemption They have to fill out a form, and they go through the IRS process, and it takes months, and then they get the letter back, and the letter gives them the tax exemption. Churches are tax exempt. uh, They're exempted from the IRS code from having to apply. If you operate and act like a church today, no matter what you did yesterday, you're tax exempt as of that moment. Even if you made a mistake, for example, uh, you're tax exempt. Uh, as of that moment of your operation. So they're in a completely different uh, ballgame, completely different category than any other nonprofit.
0: Awesome. Well, Matt, we sure do appreciate your time, appreciate the great work that you do at Liberty Council, and you're on the front lines, and every Christian and uh, every church, every pastor owes you and Anita and the great team at Liberty Council a huge debt of gratitude, but not only gratitude, certainly our financial support as well. If people want to contact you, Matt, if churches or pastors or individuals want to contact you um, in these weeks and months ahead, uh, what would be the best way for them to contact you?
1: Uh, The two ways would be just go to our website, lc.org, the letter L, the letter C.org, and there you have the phone number and you also have the email, lc.org. The email is liberty at lc.org. LC.org and the website is lc.org. And the phone number is 407-875-1776, 407-875-1776.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for all the great work you do, and thanks for joining us uh, here tonight. We certainly appreciate it.
1: Uh, Thank you. It's good to be with you, David.
0: Good to see you. Well, that concludes our interview with Matt Staver of Liberty Council tonight. And don't forget, next week we're going to be uh, interviewing Dr. Uh, Margaret Myers. We're going to be talking about the whole mental health issue. Uh, I don't know how much longer we can all stay locked up without us losing our minds. And uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Myers and be talking about the issues as it relates to our our mental health going forward. And so I hope that you'll join us again uh, next Sunday night for eChat. God bless you in Jesus' name.